Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we're already seeing calls and texts coming in, particularly about the issue of dog attacks, and we are going to be addressing that in a couple of moments on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, I think people are so really upset about this little boy in County Wexford, who, let's be honest, if you saw the photographs of his little face and the state that he has been left in, he, this little boy is really, really lucky to be alive. And only for one of the neighbours coming out onto the green area with a baseball bat and had to literally beat the dog to get the, this pit, pit bull per, terrier to stop attacking this little boy we could be addressing and talking about a very very different uh, story so we are going to be discussing that uh, today and Noel has already been on say, to say that this dog issue is a really really important issue and the government need to really start tackling it and taking it much more serious. He is suggesting suggesting that we need bigger fines. He also reckons that we need the, the rules that are in place that any of the dogs on the restricted list must be muzzled. He said that needs to be implemented and also having all dogs on leads when out in public. He also, we, he reckons we need some kind of a proper registration of all dogs especially pit bulls and those that are on that dangerous dog uh, list. And I think Noel, you're right certainly about the implementation of the muzzling because is yesterday when I was talking about this little boy and I was talking about the list of dogs that are on this restricted dog list and since 1998 there's been laws in place stating that if you're bringing one of these dogs out anywhere in public must be muzzled must be on what's described as a strong lead and the person walking the dog has to be at least 16 years of of age and I couldn't get over the number of people who were contacting us from all over the city and county saying that they know of a type of pit bull, a Staffordshire Terrier, a Doberman, an Alsatian, who they regularly see out either walking with an owner, but not certainly not having a muzzle on. I, I was really taken aback. So we put rules in place, but, you know, it's no good having a rule there and a law there if it's not been implemented. So maybe that is something that really does need to be looked at. As I say, we are going to look at it in more detail. And I'm interested in the thoughts of listeners about shops and cafes could be forced by law to start accepting cash uh, payments. And this is all to do with new rules for the banks. And too often on the programme, we hear from people who get upset if they go into a shop or a cafe. Cafes and restaurants seem to be doing it all the more. And when they go to order foods, they suddenly 
sometimes don't even see the sign to say card only. Um, but when they go to pay with cash, they're told, sorry, we only accept cards. And not everybody. Not, I know the majority of people will have some kind of a debit card or a Revolut card or a credit card. But let's accept not everybody in society operates by cards. There are still a large cohort of people who like to work on cash and who only work on cash and who only deal with cash but it's becoming more and more difficult for those people who want to still rely on cash if they're going to more shops and businesses who say sorry the rule is we we don't accept cash anymore we only accept uh, cards and I know a number of months ago we started talking about it with the GAA and we had some very upset listeners contact us because new GAA rules getting into certain matches now you have to pre-book your tickets online um, or in a you don't book them online that we'd people outside stadiums trying to get in and on their phones trying to get through to see if they could get a ticket and in other cases people turning up where they were only accepting card payments and someone didn't have a card with them and it's you know it's causing a lot of upset to a number of people so I think people will be interested with this that banks will have to offer customers reasonable access to cash this is all it's all under a draft bill that's been tabled by the Department of Finance and it'll be tabled next year so we'll certainly be talking a lot more about this as we head into the new year. The requirements could include having a minimum number of cash points per town or per region and also the bill is expected uh, to bring in independent ATM operators under the central bank supervision. So do I take it at the moment that the independent ATM operators are not under the control and supervision of the central bank? The move has all been recommended in the Department of Finance's uh, long-awaited review of retail banking and it seems it was discussed yesterday by the Cabinet and it was accepted. It comes after there was, remember, the massive public outcry back in July when AI who, by the way, are majority state-owned. They had to roll back on their decision. Remember, they wanted to remove 70 cash handling facilities, including ATM machines from branches all over the country and a number of them uh, were here in Cork. So the Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue, yesterday said the reality is people like and indeed need to use cash and he's and he said uncontrolled changes resulting from individual commercial decisions are leaving them behind and he said this isn't fair and it could also be damaging he says to financial inclusion so lenders are now being asked to keep access to cash deposit and withdrawal facilities at the December 22 levels until this new access to cash bill becomes law and I think it's important that that got mentioned yesterday because if the banks reckon that there are these new rules and laws are going to come in with this new access to cash uh, bill they might decide well that's going to take a couple of months to get introduced so let's move now to get rid of some of our cash facilities so they've been told whatever levels they're at you know for, 2020, for December 2022 that must remain the same until this new bill is passed and then separately officials are also looking into extending cash rules to other firms and to other sectors things like news agents and cafes this is under what's called the payments strategy now that's not due until the year after next 2024 it's understood that there are concerns that if more shops and cafes decide to go cashless then it could upend the rules that they want to put in place for the banks. Now, there are kind of divided views on this. I was reading that Adrian Cummins, for example, the head of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, he says the government should stay away 
and stay out of individual firms' business decisions. He says we would be seriously advocating against that. He said it needs to be evidence-based and they would have to do an impact assessment to see what are the accidental consequences because it does seem to be more of the smaller restaurants and cafes that are opting for card only. So if they decide to bring in this new strategy that could force those cafes, you're not going to be allowed to be card only. You're going to have to accept cash. So I can understand why the Restaurant Association of Ireland are coming out uh, against it. Uh, He said that certain coffee shops that he has um, been into and has already seen and their marketing ploy is card only. And he says that's their own business decision themselves. And he said we're not advocating that society should move on 100% to all card. He said cash is still part and parcel of it but he's saying it should be the individual business person's own decision and that nothing should be forced on them by the government. But then the the managing director of retail excellence Duncan Graham, he said any moves needs to be customer-led rather than retail-led and rather than government-led. He said there is still in very many sectors a big dependence on cash so he very much wants to make sure that cash is still always king in this country. And Vincent Jennings, he's head of the convenience stores and the News Agents Association, they're all the smaller businesses. He says it was a social obligation to accept uh, cash and that might possibly require legislation. Now the review suggests that the government consider and then consult on whether to legislate to give the Minister of Finance the power to require certain classes of firms and sectors and businesses to uh, force them to accept or to facilitate the acceptance of cash. And it would seem that public bodies should also be required uh, to do this according to that review because there are public bodies who are forcing people to use card uh, only as well. So what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. And I was wondering when I was reading up about that uh, this morning, will that also include the GAA? Will the GAA be forced that you have to have some facility available that people can pay in cash as well and uh, how will how would the GAA feel about it because certainly as I say I do know uh, we had some of our listeners who were quite upset about it at the time and we, we don't seem to be the only country that has this dilemma of cash versus card because I was reading during the week that the Prime Minister of the new the Prime Minister of Italy Giorgio Maloney um, when you hear Maloney you think like it's a great Irish is that a good Irish name but it's spelled M-E-L-O-N um, they, he's very much in favour of allowing people to use cash rather than forcing everyone to use uh, cards and they're raising the cash payment ceiling to Italians to, or this is what he wants to he wants to introduce it in a bill next week from 10, 000, up to 10,000 euros at the moment in cash you can only deal up to 2,000 he wants that brought up to uh, 10,000 uh, and it they're talked initially about how credit card use has steadily been on the rise throughout the Euro, Eurozone. Now, Italy is one of the countries that has persisted in having a preference for uh, cash, even though they have seen an increase and they're encouraging people to use electronic uh, payments. But it does seem that Italians use cash for 82% of transactions versus 73% across the Eurozone. And certainly the Prime Minister wants to keep with cash and believes that cash uh, should be 
be uh, king. So our own Irish government seems to be going to be stepping in on this. But as I say, I think there will be a cohort of people who will agree. There'll be other people who, who only deal in cards, don't like to deal in cash at all. There's the security aspect. People f- think it's safer if you're using cards ra- uh, rather than cash. But as I say, there will always be people who deal in cash and don't have cards at all. And those people have got to be looked after too. Thank you to somebody who pointed out when I was talking about the new Italian Prime Minister and how cash is king with the new Italian Prime Minister and the uh, Prime Minister's uh, name, Giorgia Maloney. And I reference Giorgio Maloney as he and of course Giorgio, Giorgia Maloney is a she. <laughs> She was the new, uh, she's leading the new right wing government in uh, Italy. And my apologies. I uh, changed her from a, a she to a he. She is, of course, very much a woman. Thank you for the texter who pointed that out. Now we've got the C103. We've got Christmas covered this year. We had our second winner yesterday, Ashleen Sexton from Mallow. Congratulations, Ashleen, who now has won for herself a 500 euro super value gift card. In total, we're giving away 5,000 euro worth of these uh, gift cards with C103's Christmas covered. Ken played the bells at nine this morning. Nick will play them at two and Martina will play them at five. You have to count all the Christmas bells that we play across 9am, 2pm and 5pm. Then you text or WhatsApp Martina and then you wait for your phone to ring and it could be Martina ringing you back to tell you that you have won today's 500 euro Super Value gift card. That's the C103's Christmas covered with Super Value gift cards. Perfect for every occasion. They're available in store or online for e-gift cards that can be sent with a very personal message and you can search Super Value gift card for more. And talking of Christmas, we have there's lots and lots of Christmas Day swims and runs uh, going on and a number of people are contacting us looking to see can we do interviews on them. Uh, listen, between if we were to just do interviews on Christmas Day swims would be here between now and Christmas so it isn't possible uh, to bring everybody on air to talk about them but we will try and give mentions and give as much airtime as we can to anyone who is involved with fundraising in or around uh, Christmas particularly to do with the Christmas Day swims and I had a lovely um, email in from Nicola Bottomer uh, to say that her from Inishan to say that her son Joe is doing a Christmas Day swim and it's in aid of the wonderful Mercy Hospital in Cork. Now Joe has a very personal reason for wanting to fundraise for the Mercy. Joe was diagnosed in April of last year with a tumour on his kidney. God, you're thinking in the middle of all of the COVID lockdowns and all of that. Goodness me. Anyway, his ma- his mother Nicola says he's doing well, which is the good news. After initially being treated in Crumlin Children's Hospital in Dublin, that went on for a few months then the Mercy Hospital took over the everyday care for Joe's treatment plan so he's now received the majority of his treatment at the Mercy and they run this service whereby if he didn't have treatment but he just needed a dressing changed rather than force the family to go from Inishan and up to the Mercy Hospital they'd call out to the house instead isn't that care and attention uh, Nicola says the care that they received second to none and she says the Mercy deserves for the people of Cork to support them so Joe is He's currently raised €7,839 on iDonate and they're advertising his Christmas Day swim on Facebook and on uh, Insta. And uh, he's a local boy and if people would like to support him, well done, uh, Joe. It's a terrific thing that you're embarking on as well to do a Christmas Day uh, swim. And they've got an iDonate page. It's the um, Joe Bottomer 
team. So the best of luck to uh, young Joe. And as I say, everybody else getting involved in Christmas Day swims, let us know. Get an email into us with the details and we'll do our best to mention as many of them as we can between now and Christmas. Yesterday, we had a huge reaction to the story of the little nine-year-old Wexford boy who was savagely attacked by a pit bull terrier in the green area of his housing estate while out playing football with his little friends. Many listeners questioned how this attack could happen and why we don't have stricter laws, especially around the control of dogs. Brian Gillen is CEO of the DSPCA and Brian joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Firstly, what what would cause a dog to attack a a little boy or or indeed anybody else? But what, what would have caused that to have happened last Sunday? Well, it's we never know the answer to that question. It's a reaction to something uh, that either the child, it could have been a food thing, it could have been, you know, a movement that the child was making. Um, some of these dogs, unfortunately, are also trained to, to attack, you know. So, you know, the dog may have felt uh, threatened by something that it saw, but, you know, it's something, it's something the dog knows. And without seeing... Um, what actually happened is very difficult for me to comment. Yeah, but but since 1998, we do have restrictions on 11 different breeds, of, of which the pit bull is, is one. Do those yeah. restrictions go far enough? They do. Well, unfortunately, you know, we do have a lot of owners around who believe that, you know, it's kind of a technicality that I don't have a muzzle on my dog. I, I disagree with that, and I hear... People make comments to us all the time when we challenge them to say, well, look at, I know my dog, you know, and unfortunately, one incident like this uh, means, you know, we should be seeing more owners uh, muzzle their dogs. We should be seeing greater enforcement here. I go further and say, with, with you know, during lockdown, we've seen a lot more of these dogs uh, being bred by backyard uh, breeders. Time after time, we're called into uh, council houses where there are, are, are dogs uh, like these being bred in, in in back gardens, and really, it's just not it's just not on. Uh, you know, I think our politicians at this point, if we can't see uh, greater cooperation from owners, I think we should look for a ban. You know, on the, on having any of these animals in the in the state, it's not good enough to see any child uh, injured in this way. And these particular dogs that are on that list, they have amazing strength, don't they? Yeah, that's the that's the key point in all of this. Like a, a large dog like this um, does a, an awful lot of damage. You know, like these dogs can be 50, 60 kilos in weight. Oh. Uh, a fully grown man uh, would have difficulty fending it off, let alone a nine-year-old child, you know. So it's... Um, you know, it's. I think that's why, really, the the legislation is there. It's there to give some sort of protection to the public um, from these animals. Like it, it would be our view. You know, these are not uh, family pets. They need to be kept in a very restricted, in a very restricted environment. And when they do go public, that um, you know, their muzzles are kept on a short lead, uh, and they're kept under under the owner's control at all times. You know. Yeah, but I couldn't get over, Brian, yesterday when we started talking about this story, the amount of calls we had in from people. They were all able to cite a dog in their area that's on this list regularly out with their owner and they're not muzzled. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that the dogs are roaming around the neighbourhood. They're out on leads, but they're, they're not yeah. they're not muzzled. Exactly. But that, that's the point I was making. Like People will say to you when challenged, oh, I know my dog, sure. And it's only a technicality. It's not. 
you know, this is there for the safety of the public. It happens to be the law. And uh, but I think not owners being, just... But, but not being policed, obviously. Yeah, but, like, you can police it all day long, you know. But, look, it's the owners really is... It starts with the owners, you know. The owners of these animals are responsible for them. Like, the owners of any dog is responsible for the control of their dog. But the, these dogs in particular, there are rules around how they are to be controlled when they're in public places. Mm. And when we start going away from that, we get incidents like this. Like, unfortunately, this is an extreme incident. We do we do see incidents here on a on a pretty regular basis, you know. Um, so not quite as severe as this one. But what happens with these dogs, it's a severe bite, bite particularly the, the, the pit bull. It locks on when it bites, you know, and trying to... The reports of people, you know, somebody was seemingly trying to hit this dog with a baseball bat, you that's know, it, to yeah, take yeah. to take it off the child. You know, that that's what we're dealing with here. You know, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to scare monger. Mm. If 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 somebody hadn't come to the rescue, that dog could have killed that little boy. That's isn't that the reality? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there are like the I was looking at some statistics here this morning before because I knew I was talking to you, but. There's a study done in the US and there's approximately 450 fatalities in the last 10 years from dog attacks. 50% of those attacks are from these large bull breeds and 75-80% of the fatalities unfortunately are children, you know. So, like, this is not this is not uh, a small thing and I I really can't emphasise enough, I've, I've said it now a couple of times, owners, you are required by the law to muzzle your dog in public and please do so. And what is it about these dogs? Is it in their nature or is it in their the breeding or is it in the training? Well, the bull breeds were originally, you know, they were, they were, they used to fight bulls as the name suggests, you know, so they're like, they're big, strong dogs um, because of that. Although the nature is there, um, you know, they're, it's not every every pit bull is is like this, but it's 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 definitely in the breed, you know. And it's um, you know, unfortunately, there are cohorts in society that use some of these dogs for fighting. You know, they're they're sort of a bit of a macho thing to to a degree. We see it's commonplace to see them with their ears cropped to make them even look more vicious than uh, than they are. You know. Um, so there is a there is a cohort there, and it's time as a community society we started talking about this and addressing the issue, i.e., introducing a ban on certain breeds. Go further than the restrictions. If the restricted breeding is not properly implemented by owners, well, then you know we we definitely would be calling for a ban. Okay, a listener um, says, could you please ask your, your expert, um, uh, Brian Gillen of the, the DSPCA, if a dog bites or attacks even once, should that dog be put to sleep or can a dog be rehabilitated? That's again, depends on the circumstances. Um, again, there's no specific case, you know, ac- accidental bites can take place. You know, I've been bitten here over the years by by plenty of dogs, but you know, in situations where it's it's a large dog that's inflicting very serious in injuries, there's no there's no choice there. Whereas if it's a if, if it's a cranky Chihuahua that sort of nips at you because you're 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 doing something with its food or something, that's a that's a slightly different situation, you know. So it's the short answer to that question. It depends on the situation, but you know, large dogs like this, I don't really think there's a choice. Yeah, Unfortunately. And, and, and rather than um, bad dogs, it's bad owners. It, it does all go down to responsible pet ownership. 
yeah, that's sort of the message from us. You know, it's down to it's down to the owners. Um, you know, the dog is, is is a dog. It's an animal. You know, but the and it can be. It's the owner that can decide what way that animal is going to be trained. Number one and number two. You know, when it's out in public, that I'm going to make sure that whatever happens, that the public are safe. You know, that it has its muzzle on, that it's kept on a lead. The reason for the muzzle is. You know, if it slips a lead or something and, and runs bite. off in the park, yeah. it can't bite. Yeah. You know, so this is a dreadful case, and we're 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 greatly we're very very saddened to see it here. It's 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 just awful. Yeah. Okay. And just while I have you on, I, I spotted on the news and it's making all the papers today. And I don't know if your association is involved or not. Uh, Dublin's live animal crib is going to return this year, a new home in St Stephen's Green. Are you are you involved in that? We were involved in the one in the mansion house for years. Yeah. And to be honest, our position was we were we were kind of sad to see it go. You know, yeah. um, we're not involved in this one, but I'm sure we'll be we'll be getting the phone calls to go in and have a look. You know, we know we know the farmer involved and the people involved, and you know the animals are taken out of the crib every day at at five o'clock in the evening. This was the arrangement in the mansion house. And the it was good, I think, that children in the centre of Dublin could interact with the animals in some way and at least see them, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. All, it's all about tradition as well. I think it was just such a lovely tradition. Ah, it's a bit of tradition, but it was it was also good for children to get some sort of an empathy, you know, yeah. with, with animals. And, yeah, and good like point. We, we, saw, good point. we saw good points in it, but, you know, and we were very... We were very aware that the welfare of the animals involved that that was that, that was well looked after, you know. Good. And hopefully this this new situation is the same. Okay, listen, Brian, really appreciate that. Thanks a million and happy God Christmas bless. to Thank you. you. Thanks you for too. joining us. Bye bye. Uh, what a lovely man that is, Brian Gillen, who is CEO of the DS. Uh, PCA, the ICMSA. They'll hold their annual general meeting in the Castle Troy Park Hotel in Limerick. And one of the speakers will be the Assistant Garda Commissioner, Paula Hillman, who will address the issue of gangs of so-called hunters who are trespassing and sometimes threatening farmers in their own yards or in their fields. Cahill McCarthy of the ICMSA joins me. Good morning to you, Cahill. Good morning, Patricia. Now, when these people go on to farmers' lands and are confronted, what explanation do they give and why do they claim that they're on the land in the first place? Uh, look, this, it, it, your, your listeners would be very, very familiar with this. Um, it seems to be a particular problem or seems to be particularly endemic in that kind of South Limerick, North Cork area. You have gangs of... of uh, men um, and, and young fellas coming on with uh, hunting dogs, lurchers, uh, or what have you, um, purporting to be coursing hares or, or hunting rabbits or whatever whatever they're doing. Uh, what's really noticeable, Patricia, is, and, and, and your listeners, I, I, I'd imagine some of them will be nodding as I say this, but uh, even 10 years ago when the farmers went out to confront these guys um, and said, ask them to get off the land or they called the guards, they generally would comply what we're hearing now is that they're not like they're actually just they're actually just um, using abusive language or even threatening the farmers. And that's well documented. And, um, and does a farmer have a right to say, "Get off my of land"? Course, yeah, of course. It's pure and simple trespass. But they're if you got, fences, but if you're yeah, yeah. if you're facing a gang of you know five or six men, that can be quite intimidating. Well, this is we're getting to the nub of the problem here, Patricia. Like we, you know, this relies on the farmer being able to ring the guards 
and know that the guards are on their way and are going to be on the scene speedily. And I'm afraid that that just isn't the case. That just isn't the case. Now, whether logistics, whether it's reorganization of the guards, but I thought it was very significant. Um, That lady, there was a lady in in, um, Tarbert who had five cattle stolen. Saw on the news. I saw on the news last night, yeah. You did, and yeah. you'd, 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 I thought it was really significant at the end of it, and God, God be good to her, she said, a terrible year. She didn't need this, as if anybody does. But at the end of it, she said, her local station in Tarbert used to have a sergeant and two guards. Yeah. Now she's to go to Listole. Yeah, the station's so, closed. You know, it's the same story. We seem to be actually, in a crazy way, we seem to be regressing in policing terms. You've less chance of getting the guards out to your farm now. To if if got you know if you're involved in a confrontation or a face off with one of these guys, and you run your own, and there are six or seven of these guys, you have to believe that the guards are on their way, because what you know if people feel they're on their own, things get very nasty very fast. And I'm assuming that these guys also know. So there isn't a guard. There isn't a guard at the station around here. There's nobody. There's nobody coming to your aid. So they know that as well. Well, well, well what we're dealing with, and, and again, this would be very familiar to, to your listeners. We're, we're dealing with with groups that seem to be able to travel around the country at will. Uh, many of them will be uh, on on multiple driving convictions, uninsured, on uh, no NCT, uh, and we're, we we would be we would be appealing to the guards to start, for instance, enforcing the motoring law and, and and the motoring laws and seizing vehicles because these guys seem to be able to travel uh, around swathes of the country. They know the back roads. They know the access. There's there's uh, well grounded suspicions that these coursing trips onto farmland are actually more scouting and recce missions. Yeah, than and they are that's anything to do with and the that's what we hear, and that's what farmers yes. are afraid of. They're afraid yeah. of they're going to come back then in the dead of the night, or what happened in Tarbert, you know, come back when there's nobody around and take whatever they like, and, take, they, and then they're quads, gone. taking tools, taking yeah. machinery, taking whatever. Like it's just. You know, this isn't this isn't crime of the century stuff. This needs the guards to come out and enforce the laws that are enforced in everyone else. You know, if I'm not taxed and I'm not insured and my car is NCT'd, then it's taken, it's seized. If I don't have a license, if I have multiple driving convictions, then I'm told to get out of the car and they take that. And we want that same degree of enforcement extended to groups of people that seem to be able to travel and range at their own whim, far and wide. We're going to need this, and we're going to. We want the politicians and uh, and all the various agencies to get together and start getting serious about this, because there is no doubt about it, Patricia. There are certain parts of the country where this is going to end badly. This is going to end. Uh, this is going to end tragically for some party. Um, and we have the, the assistant uh, commissioner, Paula Hillman, uh, is at the, uh, the AGM um, next Monday in the Castle Troy Park, which is just off the motorway. So at, we have a huge membership in North Cork and I'm inviting them. Now, numbers will be limited. So get on the phone today to, to the head office and confirm if you want to attend. We want people to attend and tell the senior guardie to, that there's a problem. And we want it addressed. And tell tell their stories and give them examples. Tell their stories. Yeah. The media is going to be there. We, you know, this is one of these kind of things that, like, in fairness to C103, in fairness to yourself, 
uh, and the other uh, local radio stations, you do, you do, you know, cover it. You get at it a bit. But I'm afraid that there's a kind of a, sometimes you get the feeling that, oh, no, it's the, you know, it's the farmers complaining again. This is a major and serious problem. Right now, today, some farmer is going to look out his window and see these guys on his land. And he's going to have to take his, you know, I'm not exaggerating. He's going to have to take his kind of life or his physical health in his hands and go down and confront these guys on yeah, his land. Yeah, and, and you worry because, you know, we have an ageing population and, and we particularly have an ageing population with many in the farming uh, community. So they're even more vulnerable. They're vulnerable and they're anxious and no one needs it. And it's a hassle and a stress and a physical danger and a level of intimidation that is completely unacceptable and it can't be tolerated. We need to st- we need to actually get the people responsible, the, the, the officials and the Gardaí uh, and the civil servants and the politicians, and we need to be able to look them look at them and say we want you to do something about this today, enforce the laws that are already there. You know, I mean, I, I go back again to this, this idea, and, 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 and I keep saying it, that you're, the people around you and Mallow and Charleville and Bottom and Donrail, down to McCroom, everywhere, they'll be f- exactly familiar with this. Once upon a time, and not so long ago, we had guards living amongst us, in our villages, everybody, in our Everybody knew their local sergeant, and the local sergeant, sergeant knew everybody. The sergeant, the sergeant... The sergeant's job was to get out every day and find out what was happening. And yeah. if there was a strange car or somebody was acting the maggot or somebody was hanging out with the wrong crowd, the sergeant knew it. Now, I'm afraid, and I know the guards have a difficult job, but all you ever see is a flashy painted uh, uh, 4x4 or SUV whizzing past you on the road. That's, that isn't the answer. So go maybe back. We go have, back to old-fashioned policing, is yeah, what you're saying. Maybe yeah. we have to go back to a situation where the guards are amongst us yeah. in the community, finding okay. out. Okay. And look, that's that's. Uh, thank okay. you very much. Uh, listen, for the uh, listen. Uh, uh, our pleasure. And your your AGM is next Monday. Is next it? Monday. So we huge membership. We want the Cork farmers, if they're members of ICM, say we want you to come and we want you to tell the guards in front of the media your own experience. Okay. All right. So, so All right. Give us a ring and confirm it. Thank Listen, you very much. Appreciate Patricia. that, Cahill. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is Cahill McCarthy of the ICMSA. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lots and lots of calls and comments coming in on the piece that we did with the ICMSA who are talking about people going on to farmers' lands and the fear is that some of them are going on almost like a recognizance mission checking out, you know, is there anything of value that can be robbed at a later a date um, going on, on going on to the lands under the pretext that they're, they're coursing or they're hunting. Um, somebody says, um, I, I wish that that gentleman who, Cahill, who was spoken to would stop calling that gang saying that they're coursing. Coursing clubs will always inform the farmers that the club will be around and anyone with any kind of decency who will be out hunting or coursing would always call to the farmers first and say that they're they thinking of hunting and asking is it okay that uh, says uh, Jay yeah but the particular gangs that we're talking about I think he was just because I know when I was even using the word hunting I was in with my fingers doing in inverted commas hunting uh, I think it was just the phrase that he's using just to get across the message of these gangs 
gangs. I mean, he doesn't in any way think that they're part of any local coursing clubs are part of any hunt, uh, local hunt group for sure. And, and hi, Patricia, when you're on about hunting uh, dogs, we've met hunting hounds out on their own running around local streets and in the town park. A family member had her own dogs with her and was terrified that they might uh, attack. So it isn't just farms. Uh, it's happening in built up areas as well. And I'm assuming you're talking about dogs that are getting away from the pack of hounds, is it? That's a very unusual one. Uh, and maybe it's not. 0818103103. Now let me go to dangerous dogs. A lot of people commenting on dangerous dogs. Uh, Tara says, I absolutely agree that the incident at the weekend with that young boy should have been avoided. But I put the blame 100% at the owner's feet rather than the particular dog breed. The dangerous dog list, in my opinion, is misleading and it's dangerous in itself. It encourages people to think that particular dogs are dangerous and that others are not. All dogs have different characters, as do people. And 99% of the time, a dangerous dog has been created by its circumstances. Very often cruel or irresponsible owners. This is the area that needs to be addressed. Not muzzling and not banning a particular breed. Heidi says, morning Patricia, it's so sad that that little boy got hurt by that dog last Sunday. I would like to ask, has there been any dog fights in that particular area? As this has and does happen in other parts of the country where these dogs are trained to fight. They're actually tortured by people to make them very, very vicious dogs. Uh, it is pure cruelty. I do hope that little boy will be OK and that he makes a full recovery. That's from Heidi. Um, hi, Patricia. My husband and son were in Bandon walking last night and we met a German shepherd walking towards us off the lead it's accompanied by a female my 10 year old said he was going to jump on the wall with such fear now the German Shepherd is on that list of restricted dogs did it have a muzzle on it should have had, besides it should be on a lead it should, should also be on a muzzle uh, as well so that's yeah and what do you do? Do you confront the owner? I mean, to, to hear Brian from the DSPCA saying that whenever they confront the owner, all they get is, oh, my dog, my dog would never bite anyone. The famous line that every dog owner uh, uses, my dog is so placid, would never do anything wrong. Marion says, where I live, there are far too many people walking around with very large dogs. And I've noticed that once they enter the local park, they just take the dog off the lead and let the dogs run around and have a bit of a runabout. It can be very off-putting because not everybody's comfortable around dogs and you be very nervous and I've seen some of these dogs jumping on people. It is the owners that are wrong, not the dogs. Ken in Formoy says, luckily anywhere he goes he always sees dogs on a lead but he was in a town in Tipperary last weekend and four people were walking past him on the footpath and they had dogs with no leads. Now the dogs were all friendly placid little dogs but one of them actually jumped up on uh, Ken. He said I'm okay with dogs but if you were anyway nervous at all uh, it could have been quite quite frightening. Uh, people need to not just the ones on the dangerous list or the restricted list. People need to at all times have their dog on a lead. And Mike and Bantry says Patricia in regards to the boy who was attacked yesterday were you not saying that the boy was wearing fur around his hood? Could that have tri triggered the pit bull to attack him? No. The little boy on Sunday wasn't wearing um, a jacket with the fur on the hood. The, they reckon the same dog attacked another little boy Wednesday four days previously and that little boy had kind of a large puffer jacket on him and it was actually the jacket that saved him so no there was no talk of that particular boy on Sunday wearing any kind of a jacket and I imagine 
if he had been wearing a jacket, he may have been protected uh, somehow, even though it does look like the dog went for the little boy's neck and uh, face. And just one final one on this. Patricia, I'm just wondering on what grounds a dog gets added to the restricted breeds list. While I fully agree certain dogs are potentially lethal weapons, I think it would be more important to restrict the animal on the opposite end of the lead to the canine. We're on to our second Rhodesia Ridgeback now. And by the way, that particular dog is, is on the restricted list. We found both of them to be most placid, relaxed dogs. They're great with our children and our neighbours. Very considerate, very gentle towards elderly people and small children. While I realise they are quite a strong, powerful dog, I honestly have never heard of one being aggressive. I genuinely think there are other breeds that are stronger and more naturally aggressive that I will be far more fearful of and are not included on the restricted dogs list. Are there statistics or professional input determining what dogs are included? I don't know. I'll see if I can do some research on it this afternoon because that list that came out with the 11 breeds on it, including your own particular dog, type of breed of dog came out in 1998. I'm assuming that they did look at statistics from around the world on dog attacks because Brian was able to say he was looking up the attacks in the the States and the Pitbull Terrier in particular, 50% of the fatalities in the States came from the Pitbull Terrier. So... I don't know about your the Rhodesian Ridge back, but they certainly are big, strong dogs. And maybe it's to do with the size of the dog. I don't know. I'll see if I can find out more for you. But as I say, it was that law is in place since 1998. 0818103103. Councillor Frank Roach has contacted the programme. Uh, good morning to you, Frank. Good morning, Patricia. And this, this is stay, staying on dogs. You've been contacted by some people. Lady rang me yesterday evening and she was very concerned. Look, I suppose it's because of the fact of the young fella that had been attacked during the week that is probably raising awareness on all of this. But this woman was walking in one of our major towns and um, here in Norcock, and there was a person came against her with one of the restricted breeds and he had no muzzle and the lead was definitely more than, than 10 feet long, you know. Mm. So, she, like, what she was pointing out to me was that there was no with children and these people are walking in parks and they're walking in public areas and like the law states that they should have a muzzle and that the lead should be less than three metres long and like it's it's a growing problem in, in, in our parks and in our walk areas where people are walking their dogs and like um, it, it inspired me to look at what is the rules or what is the regulations. And if you are walking these dogs, you have to have them on the muzzle and you have to have them on, on, on less than three metres. A short, and, yeah, it's a short, strong lead and you've got yeah, to be right. over the age of 16. And you see, this is the other problem that the girl, the, the lady said to me was that um, the, the dog was, was nearly the size of a pony and the person walking was an, a light person. That if the dog did decide to run away, there's no way that that person would be able to hold the dog. Mm. And that's and, and as Brian from the DSPCA said, that's why uh, that you're required to wear a muzzle in case it somehow slips the lead, gets away from the owner, and does go to attack somebody. It has a muzzle, so it's not going to be able to do any damage. That's why the muzzling is important. But I mean, even uh, one of our own listeners in West Cork contacted us this morning uh, to say they were out walking only last night, and a German Shepherd, an Alsatian, uh, was out off the lead and appeared to have no, and, and I'm assuming had no muzzle uh, either. So I mean. 
And Brian from the DSPCA said that whenever they confront somebody and say your dog should have a muzzle because it's on the restricted list, he said the owners will just argue back saying, oh, my dog wouldn't attack anyone. My dog is, you know, so placid and it's but it's just not being policed. This is the problem. This is the problem. And I've checked into it since that lady rang me. And by all accounts, the Gardaí, if, if a dog do bite somebody or attack somebody, the Gardaí or the county council have no authority to get that dog put down or even to try to control the person handling the dog, that it must actually go to court. Now, the other problem that I would be worried about, if, if a child or if any person was attacked by one of these dogs, uh, who's going to pay foot the bill, uh, the medical bill, and who's going to compensate the person that has been um, has been attacked? Now, it should be brought into legislation that these dogs should actually have to be put, uh, insured, get public liability, or get some form of insurance on the dogs to to, to save the, the victims of, of the attack. Yeah, well, and, and listen, I, I don't know if you've seen the photographs of this little boy from County Wexford, but he has been horrifically, horrifically uh, injured. And I do know that the, the reports today is a man in his 20s has been arrested in relation to the investigation into the pit bull uh, attack. Uh, but I also saw that investigations now are ongoing to ascertain who exactly the owner of the dog is. Because, of course, we'll get the big one. Because we don't register, we should be registering all of our dogs, microchipping, registering. I, I guarantee you this person will probably come out and say, no, that's not my dog. And then how do you prove that it is and isn't his dog? This is the thing. And, like, that's why I think it is that we should have some form of that, that compulsory form that these dogs have to be uh, insured. Because, like, that family in, in, in Wexford, like, if that dog isn't insured and if they can't um, quantify who the owner is, um, what, what chance is that, that misfortunate family of getting any bit of compensation to recover their, their losses? Well, listen, know? there's a face, there's a GoFundMe page already, already been set up and I know I checked before um, I came on this morning and it's already gone over 50,000. Again, it's the good people of Ireland. Uh, we'll make sure that that little boy is OK. OK, listen, Frank, thank you for that. And thank uh, thanks uh, for joining us. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. With the new Charleville Nursing Home. Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash careers. Ward personnel have vacancies for all types of machine drivers, digger, crane, lorry, arctic, trucks, etc. Call 021-233-9120. A carpenter is wanted for housing development. That's in Court McSherry. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A part-time childcare practitioner is wanted for Mitchellstown. CVs to brightspark childcare at hotmail.com. And a general operative is wanted for a dairy engineering company in the Ballyhay, Charleville area. CVs please to jimbrown1 at outlook.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See mig.ie.
Now, keep your comments coming in and I, I promise you I will get back to them, but I want to move on uh, to a different topic because it's always so sad to hear of an elderly person getting scammed out of what can often be their life saving. So anything we can do to highlight the many, many scams that are out there, we try to do our, our best. And this morning we hear about quite an elaborate scam which led to an 81-year-old in West Cork losing all of her savings. And uh, Fiona Chapel, who is a relative has actually set up a GoFundMe page to try to financially support this elderly lady. And uh, Fiona joins me. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you, Thanks for having me well, on the show. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Firstly, um, how is this uh, lady? Has, has it totally knocked her confidence and her trust in everybody? Um, basically, the, when I saw her after it, um, I was quite shocked by how impacted she was. Um, and I suppose I shouldn't have been really because it is quite a big deal. Um, and I guess it's impacted everything in terms of her capacity to go online. She's very, very nervous about that now. It's kind of caused months of stress as well because she's had to do a lot um, in connection with this scam, you know, afterwards, and and, uh, it's kind of ongoing. Yeah, changing bank accounts and passwords and direct debits. Oh, yeah, Yeah. we're going to have to wipe her laptop. We had to close all her bank accounts, cancel her cards, um, she's, you know, she still receives emails. Um, they came back after the initial scam to try and, or, or in, in different ways, like in one of them trying to raise a loan from a fake email they'd set up. Um, you know, in, uh, when they gained access to her yeah, laptop. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is yeah, this is this case is unusual, and there wasn't just one scam, and then and then they've uh, disappeared. So, I suppose taping back to the beginning and what you know as to how the scam started. So, um, basically, I received a message from this lady in early October, and she just said she was too upset to talk that she'd been scammed and that she'd lost everything. Um, and uh, that was the first I heard of it. But basically it had started maybe four or six weeks before that where she'd received a call saying that um, I I think these people I've I've learned since will ring people up randomly um, and say your Bitcoin investment has um, made a great profit and they did this with her. They basically said your investment you made years ago has made um, a very healthy profit um, and she had made a tiny investment like years ago and she thought then this was legitimate um, because they knew she had done that but they didn't actually know they were just chancing us. Um, yeah, it's like, anyway. it's like when they send out a text saying your AIB bank account, they are just chancing their arm hoping that you do have an AIB bank account. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is random. It, it is very random exactly. and, un- and unfortunately this poor woman did have a small investment in Bitcoin. So she thought, happy days, I've made a little bit of money I'm this is great yeah and you'd instantly be a bit excited wouldn't you because you think oh that was great then something's come of it finally and um, and they involved a number of different institutions they didn't just kind of you know ring her up and and uh, ask for her deed they involved a number of institutions to kind of gain her confidence um so they had uh someone called uh, an organization called Wise Bank, which is an online bank, which apparently is a legitimate online bank. And then there's another um, organization called CoinDeck. And uh, I find it hard to get um, definite information on on those guys. Um, I think they're a trading platform, but it's kind of a little bit, I can't quite find out what they are. 
and then also the local credit union where she had her her legitimate uh, bank account basically and she, and she yeah. she did she give them the details of her credit union account or did she, did she give them details so they could get into her laptop um Unfortunately, over time, they convinced her both. So, so they wanted to have her bank details and her, you know, a basic uh, address and stuff like that so that they could put this, transfer these thousands of euros into her um, credit union account. So she gave them that um, and she gave them proof of identity because they said, oh, well, you know, they have to know it's definitely her and what have you. So... She gave them her driving license. Oh, so, bless so heart. yeah. Um, so they had all that. So that was very convenient for them, as you can imagine. Um, and then they asked her to download something called AnyDesk, and this piece of software apparently gives access to your laptop, um, which she wouldn't have known the ins and outs of that. Um, but then they were able to show her on her own laptop that she had thousands of euros now into, you know, a very exciting bank balance that just kind of appeared in her credit union um, account. So she was really excited. She thought she's more or less, you know, she's always wanted to win the lottery. And this was her, she was very, very excited about this uh, investment having come through for her. Um, and uh, she actually, you know, the, this money did actually go into her account, but then it went out again minutes after it went in, along with all her savings. And um, and all of her savings, Fiona, amounted to how much? Three thousand euros. Ah, and so, to an eighty-one-year-old, three thousand euro—you uh, know—is yeah. a lot of money. It is, and you know, as you get older, you may need things, um, you know, healthcare and stuff like that, and it's you know, the economic times we're in and everything. That was her bit of padding. And they left her two euros and then they tried to raise a loan to actually put her into debt by opening a fake email account um, in her name. They just changed her name slightly, like they used her full name, you know, um, a middle name, and opened another email and tried to get the credit union then to um, raise a loan on that, and thankfully they refused. So they would have actually put her into debt, and then they came back for her pension. So they knew they were talking to an 81-year-old woman. That's they shocking. knew she didn't have an awful lot of money, and, and she was on a pension, um, and they went ahead and did that anyway, which is... Um, it's despicable. It's just it it's is, absolutely yeah, despicable. Exactly. Uh, okay, she's obviously, she reported it to the Gardaí. She did, um, and we're ongoing. We send anything we get now through her her um, emails and stuff to the Guardi, and they're doing their best to look into it. And they've been very helpful. But um, so far, because they had all her details, the um, the credit union, everything had gone through their own security checks. You know, and Wise Bank had gone through their own security checks, but um, I, so I don't think anything can come back from it. Uh, um, she won't get any of the money sense. back. So that's why I set up the fund because she's, you know. Yeah, you um, tell me about this. You've, you've you've set up the happy granny, the happy granny <laughs> fund. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I wanted to turn it around. I was really, really shocked and very angry, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> and I wanted to turn it around, so I didn't want. She had a great sense of, um, you know, confidence beforehand, and uh, but <clears throat> after the she felt very ashamed basically and uh, wasn't in a great space and so I, I wanted to call it the happy granny fund because I want her to come back to her, her happy self if you like so I, I um, set up a fund on the GoFundMe platform <clears throat> excuse me and um, 
to try and get her her money back, but also to just restore her confidence in people in that, you know, she would come out on top instead of actually feeling ashamed and guilty um, of having been caught out like that. Um, but she would she would basically win the lottery of human kindness, if you like. Yeah, just to, yeah. You know, and people so. and she listen, she's not the only one who feel deeply ashamed and embarrassed uh, when they get caught out. I mean, and we've dealt with many people on this programme who have been uh, scammed. People Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Much younger than your 81-year-old relative. Anyone can get caught out by these people. I mean, they are fraudsters, but they are professional at what they do and they can really convince you that this is legitimate. They're very clever. They're very clever. They're very persistent. They've obviously done it so many times and uh, they really know what they're doing. And I mean, they sent her, even they opened a bank account for her and they sent her in the post and details of this wise bank account with credit cards and everything. So, if, you know, she, you look for proof. If you're in doubt at all, you look for proof. Um, and... Seeing that balance on in her credit union, being sent a legitimate credit card through the post or a, a credit card, I think they must have kept the other credit card on the account. Um, you know, so they were going the, to try and continue to to scam her, thinking oh, oh, she, I, she I won't re- so. she won't realise money's going and yeah, yeah, I believe so, yeah, um, and uh, you know, it just caused a lot of stress because she she's had to. Um, do all those things, you know, close the bank account and all that. And then she still receives emails from Coindeck and I'm trying to get to the bottom as to why they're sending those. They're quite vague, but... Um, yeah, they could be just auto-generated as well. I though, think Fiona. they yeah. are. I but think the, they are. And the thing is, you know, for an 81-year-old, you know, the fact on her own laptop and all of that, she was, she was a bit of a silver surfer in that she was able to negotiate <laughs> herself around the internet and was quite yeah, independent. 
Yeah, it is. I, I love that charm. But she's, um, but, but you know, she was quite independent financially, doing her own bits and bobs. Absolutely. I mean, she's brilliant. She really is brilliant. She she was doing everything. You know, she was very independent and, and still is independent. And, you know, she is being helped out and everything. Um, thankfully, she has family um, to help her out as well. But, yes, yeah, she, she's online. She's on the mobile. She uses it for social, you know, um, you know, a contact with her family and that kind of thing. And then, you know, she'd go online to pay bills and stuff. But she's very, very nervous about doing that now. Yeah, and she's actually encouraged her in some yeah, way. Yeah, that's what I, I, I hate to hear that, that mm. like it's really knocked her confidence. It has. It has. And I think also a shock of any kind when you're that age is, you know, when you're any age is difficult to deal with. But when you're that age, a shock of that kind, it, it really takes you back. And then the ongoing stress. So... Um, I think people, when this happens, need minding and they don't need judgment or anything like that, but just uh, taking care of and um, bringing back to a place where they, they feel safe. Yeah. OK. Um, and and hopefully, hopefully the Happy Granny Fund will, will help to do that. It's on the GoFundMe under the Happy Granny Fund uh, if yeah. people would like to donate. Pass on our best wishes uh, to her, uh, Fiona. And you look, you know, I hope that she'll just be able to get put all this behind her and just you know, let the bad luck of the year go with it and let it be done. Let it be done and gone and she'll head into the new year and she'll regain all of her confidence as well. And, and well done to you for speaking up on her behalf um, and also for setting up the GoFundMe page. Thank you very much, Patricia. I will I'll pass on your, your good wishes and uh, thank you very much for promoting the fund and I hope nobody else gets caught. OK, thanks so, a million. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Fiona Chapel out of West uh, Cork. So, you know, just be careful, folks. Be careful. And that Bitcoin does seem to be a bit of a new one now on the scam because, now I have to say hand on heart, I never invested in Bitcoin and I remember at the time when there was so much talk about going on about Bitcoin and it was going to be the thing of the future and you'd be stupid if you didn't get involved in Bitcoin I remember thinking about saying no I don't like the sound of this at all but a lot of people did a lot of people did invest and a lot of people a little bit like that elderly lady in West Cork invested small amounts because people were very nervous and very cagey about it and that's what this, these scam artists are now doing they know that there will be a percentage of people who had invested maybe just a couple of hundred euro they weren't going to risk you know mortgaging putting the price of the mortgage of their house into Bitcoin Bitcoin, but they would have put a small amount into it, completely forgotten about it. And suddenly you get this email or this phone call to say, oh, remember your Bitcoin? You think, oh, God, yeah, I remember doing that. You know, and suddenly, oh, we've got a lot of money for you. We need your bank details so that we can send you on your the, the money. You just have to be so careful. They are sophisticated, these scam artists. They're professional and they're getting better at what they do. But at the end of the day, they are fraudsters and they are criminals. And I've said it before, I just wish that the intelligence level that they use use for these elaborate scams I just wish so wish that they would use it for good rather than evil because it's just they're evil people the fact that they would have known because they had a driving licence they knew that this was an 81 year old woman they would have seen once they got into her little credit union account they would have seen that that was her life savings the 3,000 euro and then to leave her with a fiver and then to try to come back the following week to get her pension money it's just evil evil in the 16th century the Duhallow region of northwest cork was one of the most indisputably irish parts of ireland however by the mid 17th century the lordships had largely been dismantled and the area was then dominated by new 
English settler families. A new book outlining the decline and fall of the Irish lordships in Duhallo has just been published by historian Dr David Heffernan, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, David. Morning. And, and you're, very, you? you're very welcome to, to the programme. OK, what prompted you to write this book? Um, well, it was basically, um, uh, like I've worked in early modern Ireland for, for the better part of 15 years, but it was, it, it's um, uh, basically the, the, there was a kind of a gap in the uh, the information around uh, North West, West Cork, so Duhallow and actually other baronies as well. So there's an awful lot of the, the parts of the country in the, uh, the 16th and in the 17th centuries that I suppose haven't been studied on the local level yet. Um, so there was a bit of a, there was a gap in the historiography, I suppose, in terms of, um, of early modern Duhallow. So, yeah. And it was an coming, area... Coming was, from the region... I yeah, just, I, I, we, like we need it. to point that out. It's an area that you grew up in as well. Yeah. Yeah, so so you, you say, unlike Ulster, you say Duhallow was unofficially planted. Ex- yeah. Explain that, because people will know about the, the Ulster plantation, but Duhallow was different. Uh, yeah, well, like... Um, Say in between, like say the 1550s, when the first official plantation was undertaken by the by the Crown in England in in Leash and Offaly in the Midlands, there was a number of official plantations. So Leash and Offaly, then the Munster plantation, which only covered a very small part of of Munster, and then um, all of West Ulster in 1609-1610. Now these are state-sponsored um, plantations, which basically means that. Uh, the crown basically legally took possession of all of the land and then just distributed um, the land to people that well, that basically wanted it in England. Um, but this was done on kind of a very sort of an organised uh, level, whereas an awful lot of the, the country was actually planted um, kind of unofficially, where people would come in, they would... And they would buy up land from lords who were kind of economically impoverished, um, that didn't understand a lot of the time the kind of the new economic system that the English were imposing, so that they would mortgage out lands, and then eventually they would basically take them from them. Um, so it was it, it was less organised, I suppose, than than what happened in Ulster. It was more. Um, yeah, it was it was just people kind yeah, of and then taking sl- the yeah, exploitation. Slowly then over time the, the lordships lost the land that they once they, they once um had. But there's some of the architecture of that era, is that still in evidence today? I mean you think Cantor Castle is an obvious one. That would have been that era, would it? Yeah, yeah. Um Cantor Castle is actually a pretty good example in terms of, of how this process actually happened. Because the chap that built it was uh, Dermot McDonough McCarthy, who was the, the lord of the McDonough McCarthy lordship in the early 17th century. And what happened was he was actually trying to um, basically kind of emulate English lordship in order to adjust to the situation. So he, he decided to build this castle, but he spent so much money in trying to build it that he ended up basically going into thousands of pounds of debt, which is millions in today's money. And then, as a result, he actually ended up having to mortgage his lands away in order to pay for this castle. Um, so, Cantorque is kind of is, is the best example of the architecture. But there's, I mean, there's 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 other ones as well in Duhallow that I think are are probably less known about. Um, say, for instance, where you are uh, there in C103, your uh, your studio, very near to you is uh, Dromanine Castle, which is in. Um, 
basically it's in a field off of the uh, the road next to the race course. Um, so, and it's actually, it's quite well preserved, but you can't actually see it from the road. Um, and there's there's a whole bunch of different castles like that around the uh, the barony. Would you like to see them sign, well, signposted so people could go and visit them? Um, it would be good. I don't know what the situation is in terms of whose land dropping yeah, the castle is yeah, actually how in or you whether would... the Office of Public Works are in charge of it. You know, it creates a bit of a... Yeah, but it's so much It's so much part of our, our history. And it's interesting when you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the McDonough McCarthy's, the, the names of the lordships. Do, do, do many of those surnames still exist in the area? Uh, yeah, hugely. Um, I mean, there's there's McCarthy's all around the uh, the Barony. Um, there's loads of O'Keefe's. The the four main lordships, I suppose, were the McDonough McCarthy's, the O'Keefe's, the McAuliffe's, and the O'Callaghan's. Yeah. Um, and even if you go back to to some of the 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 kind of the more minor sort of lordships that were there, uh, like the like the Magners, the Lombards. All of these places are kind of almost rooted in the uh, the landscape in terms of um, uh, place names and also the people that live in them. So Castle Magner, say for instance, was uh, the the name of that comes from the fact that the Magners uh, basically settled in that particular region between Cantork and Mallow in the late medieval period, and they they had a castle there. Yeah, so hence we have a Castle Magner. Yeah. Do you believe it? Duhalo has a different feel to the rest of Cork and could almost be a little county on its own? Um, yes, it could actually be. Interestingly enough, there was um, there was actually, in the 16th century, there were, there were proposals to actually um, divide Cork County into, into two because they've, the, the administration in Dublin felt that it was actually too large a county. And one of them was to create a new county called Desmond, which would have consisted of largely Duhallow, um, a little bit of uh, north, east, Kerry, and a bit of south Limerick. Because yeah, because Cork is a huge county, so it would have been possible. Yeah. It certainly would have been possible to to have done it. And did, your book was this kind of a lockdown project for you? Um, I had I had the idea of it for for years and years, but I'd, I'd never gotten around to um, to doing it. But um, but yeah, it was a kind of a lockdown project, basically well, in the, uh, the the summer of twenty twenty. Well done. I well, kind of returned to it. Well done, because you're, you're, you're a historian of Tudor and early Stuart Ireland. Where's, where's your love of history come from? Um, I don't know. It was kind of always there. I was just always kind of curious about, um, I don't know, how, how things... Where we came from. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where we came from and how we've ended up to be here. Well, it's, it's a terrific uh, book. It's only a small little book. Um, where is it on sale? Um, so it's on sale in a bunch of different places around basically the... Uh, the barony, I suppose. So um, if you're near Borbui, you can pick it up in Super Value in Borbui or the post office. It's on sale in Super Value in Newmarket and Cantork. Hickey's in Ratmore, uh, which is technically, I suppose, over the uh, over the, the western end of the barony, but it's near enough. And uh, Lahan Shop in Kishke. OK, well, listen, uh, good luck uh, with it. And we better say hi and pass on, uh, say hi to your dad, Joe, uh, because Joe Heflin, who joins us normally on a Tuesday, uh, that's uh, David's dad. So we better, we better give him a nod as well, because he's very proud of you. I will say that, David. Listen, congratulations on it. It's a, it's a terrific book. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Perfect.
Cheers. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is historian Dr. David Heffernan. And the book is Early Modern to Hollow the Crisis, Decline and Fall of the Irish uh, Lordship uh, available locally. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 086 103103. A lot of texts and calls coming in. And uh, we'll hopefully get to as many of them as we can before the close of the programme. But one that came in earlier, if I can find it here, from Michael, who was picking up on a piece that we did uh, yesterday. Michael uh, says, uh, listen to the replay of your programme last night. And I really enjoyed the contribution from Madge, who contacted the programme, explaining her experience with her friend in Killarney. This was Madge who joined us uh, yesterday who was going on about having to dine in the dark because the restaurant, it was a gastropub I think that she went into. They had the lights off. Now, the, the young waitress was explaining they've been all told to keep an eye on the electricity bill and so they were just trying to put lights in just the parts of the bar where people were seated but she ended up in a very dark side and couldn't even see the menu it was so dark anyway and she was just talking about you know how things have changed when it comes to hospitality particularly with the current cost of living and that led to a flood of other calls and texts in from people anyway Michael says Madge's experience is happening in many parts of the country and elsewhere especially where owners are insisting on maintaining their profit margins they come first before any customers and the same story happens to relate to other businesses as well i.e. supermarkets shops and bars. Everything has been blamed on the war in Ukraine but believe me this price hiking etc was going on before that. Earlier this year I know that there was a festival happening in a part of Kerry. The much loved fish and chips went up in price for the duration of the festival to 18 euro absolutely scandalous. Can anyone explain that one to me? I think it would be great to hear a few more like Madge uh, speaking out. Well, Michael, thank you for that. So many people yesterday and I think it, it got kicked off by our listener who was in the city with the teenage son who, Ma, I'm hungry and took him into a little restaurant to get the full Irish breakfast and it was 18 euro. Now, a lot of people were saying that that was really, really expensive. And then we had examples. So yesterday, I have to say, in fairness, and, uh, you know, I don't want to be knocking everybody in hospitality because I appreciate how difficult things are at the moment. We did have a number of people cite examples of places that were still giving and were trying their best to give good value for money. Everything has gone up in price. Electricity in particular is causing huge problems for so many businesses. And I know you say, Michael, it's all about profit and margins. I don't believe many businesses are trying to maintain profit margins. I think it would be impossible for any business to maintain profit margins without putting up prices so astronomically high that no one would be able to go into the business. But do do some businesses have to look at how much profit they're making this year. Yeah, you're you're probably right on that, but everything certainly is going up. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now we're giving away super value gift uh, cards. They, in total, we'll have given away €5,000 by the end of next week. Monday to Friday, your chance to win a €500 super value gift card with C103's Christmas covered at 9am in the morning, 2pm in the afternoon and 5pm in the evening time. We play Christmas bells. You've got to count the Christmas bells, make a note of how many Christmas bells are are rung by Ken at nine, Nick at two, and then 
Martina plays the final set at five and then you add all the Christmas bells, the numbers together, you'll come up with a total. I can tell you, for example, that yesterday's total was 15 because Ken had uh, six Bells, Nick at six and then Martina had three and at that point in time what you then need to do is text or WhatsApp Martina on drive time with the total amount and your name and address for your chance to win and yesterday it was Ashleen Sexton in Mallow who got a call and Martina started by asking her do you know why I'm calling you? The bells? Yes, C103 is Christmas covered can you reveal to me now how many bells that we played out today? Fifteen <laughs> yes, it was 15 bells. Congratulations, Ashling. Thank you so much. You are in Goulds Hill in Mallow. You know, that's not very far at all from our uh, Mallow studio. You must no. be spitting distance to us. Yeah. <laughs> what have you got going on in your life? How is this going to make a difference to you, this 500 euro shopping spree, this super value gift card? Um, I suppose it'll get um, the Christmas dinner sorted and a few treats. Yes. The kids. Yeah. So what, what's your situation? Have you got kids yourself? I have. I have a, a son and a daughter. They're 11 and 12. Oh, they're really looking forward to Christmas. They are indeed, yeah. Oh, this will be the icing on the cake now, so. That's it. Thanks for listening to C103, Ashling. Thank you so much. And happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Congratulations to Ashleen Sexton, our second winner, and she is now €500 Euro better off with her Super Value gift uh, card. So do stay listening. Two o'clock today, Nick will give the second set of bells, five then this evening with Martina. That's the C103's Christmas covered with Super Value gift cards. They're perfect for every occasion, but and they're available in-store, or you can get them online for an e-gift card, and that can be sent out with a personal message. You search Super Value gift card. Uh, card and stay listening at 9, 2 and 5 to win only on C103. 0818 John Paul, by the way, is taking questions for uh, Peter Dowdle. If you've got a question, get it in. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 103. Let me catch up on a lot of texts and commentary coming in. Martin in Mitchellstown was on and I'm assuming this was with regard to the ICMSA that we spoke with it about that meeting, their AGM that they're having next Monday and the Assistant Guard, the Commissioner, is going to speak to them, particularly around this worry that a lot in farming rural areas have about gangs of predominantly men going around claiming to be involved in hunting or coursing or lamping, coming onto farmers' land and when they're asked to get off, they can be quite threatening and intimidating. Martin says in is in a rural area of Mitchellstown, towards the foot of the Galtees. He said a farmer noticed a van pulling up to the entrance of one of his fields. When the farmer went out into the field to approach the people that were there, he was told to go away and mind his own business. The gang had dogs, and when the farmer asked, have you a dog licence for those dogs? He was basically told to go away, but not in a nice way. They used expletives. So it's happening. And Martin Fields are coming from outside areas doing this. I mean, well, that's exactly, I think, what was described by uh, Cahal from the ICMSA, and that's why they want people, they want farmers, who are members uh, to go to the AGM on Monday and they want stories like that they want the Assistant Guard the Commission to hear stories like that because we heard from uh, Carl on the programme this morning that when some people were ringing the local guard the station to say look I can't get rid of these people whatever they were told sorry there's no guard the car available are you going to have to wait and um, and you know the fear is that these 
gangs that are doing it know that as well and they're just you know they're 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 deliberately not moving off they're staying there and doing what they want to do and only leave when they're actually finished somebody said the coursing gang oh this is reaction to somebody who said that anyone in a coursing club or anyone hunting would always ask the farmer in advance for permission to be on their land uh, the coursing gangs never inform anyone they're bullies and thugs they're usually coming from cities or large urban areas and towns without respect for country residents or the people's properties yeah, you see, I think that's the distinct difference. That's why one of our listeners was, was t- taking objection to us referring to them as people who are coursing because they're not members of coursing clubs. That's completely different. And our listener was saying anyone from a coursing club would always in advance ask and uh, find out if it was OK to be on the land. OK, and then we have some people uh, contacting us about... The dog attacks. We're still getting uh, a lot of commentary in on this following that young boy in Wexford who's still in hospital uh, recovering at the moment and he's got a long, long recovery ahead of him and says, listening to you on about dogs, I found, particularly since COVID and the pandemic, lots of people are out walking their dogs and they don't have them on leads. Some of these are big, strong dogs who run towards you, especially the likes of me, who will always have our dog on a lead. And when they say the usual line, oh, she, he or she just wants to play. But what they don't realise is that my dog is old. My dog has arthritis and has pins in both of its back legs. So if another dog, just being boisterous and just being happy to see another dog and wants to play, if another dog jumps onto my dog, it will actually hurt. And the danger is that then my dog is on in pain, might react, and then a fight could uh, start. Uh, and another thing, says Anne, many of those people are not picking up their dog poo either. But Anne has noticed since the pandemic, for some reason, before that, people were always more into having their dogs on leads. But she's noticed a decrease in it. Anybody else uh, notice that? And then listen to this one, because the dogs we've been talking about are the dogs, the 11 breeds that are on the restricted list of dogs that are meant to be muzzled when they're out, meant to be on a short lead, they're meant to be by somebody over the age of 16 and the little boy in question was attacked, it was a pit bull and the pit bull terrier is one of the dogs that's on that list. Hi Patricia, having been widowed three years ago, my family were anxious for me to get a dog. I went to a rescue centre and I got the most wonderful companion who has been my lifeline since then. She's 11 years of age now. However, three weeks after I brought her home, a friend told me, do you know that that dog is on the restricted dog breed list? She is a Nikita. They're the Japanese Akitas. Personally, I'd never heard of this breed before, but I put in place measures to secure my large garden. She is licensed. She is microchipped. She's always on a lead when I walk her on our road and I live in the countryside. Listening to your programme though this morning, I'm again starting to get anxious, even though I've no issues with her and we never, ever are in a built-up area. My question is, why was I allowed to buy a dog from a rescue centre which is on a restricted dog list uh, without being informed or anyone telling me about it? I certainly would have had second thoughts about taking her home. That said, I wouldn't be without her now, but obviously it's always a concern and I'm in my uh, 70s. Please don't call out my name. I'm really taken aback. I would always have thought that a rescue, particularly those, the the dogs on the restricted list, because they come with 
additional requirements for the owner and what the owner needs to do. I'm really shocked that you got that from a rescue because when I started to read your email first, I thought maybe that you bought from a breeder and that the breeder wasn't going to tell you, oh, by the way, this dog is on the restricted uh, list. Um, I, I, I certainly would get back on to, out of interest, I'd get back on to the rescue centre to say, you know, why didn't you inform for me? And and are you 100% sure, and I'm assuming you are 100% sure that it is one of these Japanese Akitas, but I'm, I'm taken aback. I really am taken aback. Um, and if anybody listening to us is working in with dog rescues, is that is that common that a dog would be rehomed that's on the restricted dog list? And I've no problem with the dog being rehomed as long as the owner is informed, by the way, this is this breed is one of the breed on the restricted uh, list. Never come across that before. Thank you for your email though to Patricia at uh, c103.ie. And then, oh, I want to go to some of your comments that came in about cash when we were talking about cash earlier on. And this is the Minister for Finance, Pascal O'Donoghue, is hoping is looking at bringing in new rules and new regulations that will mean by law businesses will have to accept cash uh, payments. And it's going to be new rules for banks uh, because regularly we see if you're out and about, you'll go into a business premises and there will be a sign up saying car only. Or worse, you've got the embarrassment that you get to the counter to pay for something to be told it's card only. And if you don't have a card, you've got to walk back out again because they will refuse to take cash. So when these new rules come in, it will be next year, I take it. If and when these rules come in, it will be certainly into the new year before it happens because it's a draft bill that's been tabled by the Department of Finance sometime next year. Don't know how long it's going to uh, take for the legislation to go through, but it will mean that no no business will be able to say we don't accept cash. It is card, o- card uh, only. And I'm assuming the flip will it be the same as well. The businesses won't be able to say no cards because I've also seen premises that do that, that take cash only and don't take cards. But predominantly, it's more card only and no cash. Some of your comments in on this. Helena in Fairhill in the city says, I agree. So many cafes are not accepting cash anymore. It's all about cards. And while I do have cards myself, so it doesn't really affect me, I do feel for people that might be nervous about using cards and I'd be in situations where you see somebody you've got to walk away from the counter and can't get their cup of coffee or whatever it is they're about to buy because they don't have a card with them. Joni in Newmarket says nobody but nobody can refuse cash because cash at the end of the day is legal tender. It's gone crazy and situations where people can't buy match tickets at gates unless they go online and are able to pay by card it's all gone uh, crazy. I know what you're saying, the cash is a legal tender and we have looked into that before and businesses seemingly are allowed to say card only. I don't think anyone's managed to take a case against a business that refused to take cash because they were card uh, only. But you're right, it is absolutely, it is legal tender. Janice in Bandon says, I think what they are doing in Italy is a good measure, ensuring the cash will always be available for people. Too many places just want card only now. And while I do pay by card, I like to have cash in my pocket and I like to feel that I have cash on me. The money for my card has to go either through Visa or Revolution. I'm always nervous. What happens if any of those businesses decide to shut down? You will always have a need for cash. And Liam in Skibbereen says, remember the time at the Aviva? Oh, that was the American football match and the broadband went down and they weren't accepting cash. It's card only. So they had to give out free pints and free food. It went on for, for a couple of hours. Um, I think I agree we should always have cash and always have the option of 
handing in cash. I've so often been in shops where they say, sorry, we can't connect to the internet now. Can you pay by cash? And so through no fault of their own, are the customer's own, you are end up in a situation where you will need cash, even if you like to rely only on cards. And Seamus in Buttevant, will this apply to government departments, these new rules from the Department of Finance? Because let's not forget, if you want to renew your driver's licence, you can only do it by a card. They won't accept cash. Well, I did see that the review that came out, that they're basing the the new payments strategy on public bodies will be required to do the same and that's where that's the review that looked into should shops and cafes and news agents and other businesses should they be can they be stopped saying to people you have to you have to only pay by card it does say public bodies will be required to do the same thing so yes it will sauce for the goose Seamus will definitely be sauce for the gander and just on the people who are again highlighting how the GAA are forcing people to pay by card or to go on online we dealt with this back in the summer when we people ringing in about this particular issue and we got on to the GAA at the time and we got on to the Cork GAA board who issued us with the statement and they said that while people going to matches are encouraged to pre-purchase tickets there is a tap card facility available on the day but that's a porky creeve only they then told us that club secretaries are in a position to download and sell tickets to their members in advance of any championship games especially those who have difficulty in purchasing online so they accepted that some people didn't have the ability to go online and I remember saying at the time you could have people living in an area with really bad broadband and they wouldn't even be able to get online in order to purchase uh, the ticket so they were saying to people go to the club secretary and they would be able to sort you out and I do know when we called that out we did hear from a number of people who say that they did exactly that and the club secretaries were great in helping them out so there is an alternative there within the GAA and then please don't call out my name fine hi Patricia a rant please about wheelchair disc parking at Tesco car park in Mallow on two different occasions just last week in the driving rain I had to park away from the store as all three disabled bays were occupied having driven around four times in the hope that one of them would become available only one car had the blue disabled disc. The other two did not have discs. I watched. One was taken up by a young woman on her own who was coming and going to the car a number of times. I ended up having to park in the overflow car park as the main car park was so busy. They were still there much later when I was leaving. One of them was sitting in her car at this stage chatting away on a mobile phone. They both eventually left. This never happened. This never seems to happen when there's an attendant on duty. It's frustrating and it's annoying as walking any distance for me is simply not easy. Coming up to Christmas, it's going to be like this and it's going to defeat the whole purpose of disabled parking. Most people are considerate and helpful, but there'll always be the few. And that's from a new market uh, listener. Oh, breaks my heart when when I hear when I hear that happening because I have one of those disabled stickers on my car. Obviously, for when I've got Marcia with me. Now I try. I would never park, by the way, when Marcia's not in the car with me. And even if I have her in the car with me, I try where possible. If it's an area where they're very tight on and there isn't a lot of disabled bays, I try where possible not to use them. But sometimes like that. 
situations like that where her mood mightn't be great and if it's really bad weather and I need to get somewhere maybe there's an appointment or something I have to get to and I end up having to use it but I'm always conscious of not leaving the car in that space for too long because we don't have enough of those uh, spaces but it is frustrating and so annoying when you're past those spaces and you see that somebody is parked in it and they don't have one of the blue edges. I remember from OMS at one stage were brilliant. They had these stickers that they were handing out to people and you could, if you spotted a car that was parked in a disabled bay without the blue badge. You could put a sticker on the window uh, saying, you took my disabled parking space. Would you like to take my disability? And I think, you know, I'm hoping that that would just embarrass somebody that the next time they really might stop and think. So thank you to that listener. And it's good to call it out just to remind people, please, please be mindful of why those spaces are there and how important they are, particularly for people with mobility uh, issues. Please leave the spaces for who they are entitled for. 0818103103. Our lines are open. If you have a question for Peter, can you please get those in? You can also text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. A Balanconic Parish fundraising to supply generators it's for the for uh, the town of Sokal it's in Ukraine they're holding a cake sale this Friday from 8am to 1pm in Balancolic Community Hall with all, all proceeds going towards the purchase of generators for Ukraine and following a request from Bands and Business Association the Banding College of Further Education is planning on running a free part-time course it's Introduction to Retail Skills and it begins in February of next week that's suitable for young people or perhaps somebody who's retired but might wish to work part-time in the retail sector. More information from Bandon Further Education and Training. Blarney District Historical Society host John O'Connell with an illustrated lecture on the escapades of Casey from Cork and McNamara from Clare. What is any relation to John Paul? That's happening uh, tomorrow Thursday 8 o'clock in Blarney Secondary School. All are welcome. And the Newmarket Canturk Alzheimer Cafe. That will be on tomorrow morning 11am to 1pm the cafe provides a warm welcoming place for people living with dementia and for their carers and this month's topic is family care support and entitlements with the guest speaker Peter Cox to register you can contact Karen on 087 3487 511 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group promoter home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie dog stories keep coming in to us. Mary said a German shepherd crossed with a uh, collie. Mary was told by the owner oh we don't need to muzzle at the dog but I understand if they're a crossbreed they should be muzzled as well. We've refused to call to this person's house because of the dog. The dog makes us very nervous. This uh, really needs to be um, uh, clarified and by the way that dog was also purchased from a rescue uh, centre and you're right Mary the owner of that dog is wrong because the dog's listed 
listed, the 11 breeds listed that I mentioned yesterday, let's call them out again, the American Pit Bull Terrier, the English Bull Terrier, the Staffordshire Bull Terrier, the Rothweiler, the German Shepherd that you've just uh, mentioned, the Bull Mastiff, the Doberman Pinscher, the Rhodesian Ridgeback, the Japanese Akita and the Japanese Tosa, never heard of that one, and any dogs which are cross breeds of the above. So if it's a crossbreed, then yes, it does need to be muzzled. But there's another dog that came out of a rescue. And obviously, do I take it that they weren't told that the dog should be muzzled when out in public? It doesn't have to be if they're in their own garden or when they're at home. And then somebody, remember earlier, somebody sent in a text saying that the Rhodesian Ridgebacks shouldn't be on, felt that they shouldn't be on the list, that they've, they're onto their second, their most gentle, placid dog, even though the, this, owner did accept they are a very powerful dog but they've two they've had one they're onto their second never heard of this dog being aggressive and was genuinely wondering what the dog was on the list somebody wants to point out that the 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 Rhode Island the the Rhodesian Ridgebacks are used to kill lions in Africa a little bit like when Brian from the DSPCA when I asked him about the bull terriers the Staffordshire bull terriers and the English bull terriers they were bred to kill bulls that's where the bull name comes from and the Rhodesian Ridgebacks according to this uh, listener are used to kill lions in Africa they are very strong powerful dogs and in fairness the person who has them has admitted that they are powerful dogs Hi Patricia dogs and walking in the park I've seen a troop of young mums after dropping their little ones off to school then head into the park for for a natter and a walk around. They have an impressive troop of dogs with them, roaming around unsupervised. No hint as to where they're doing their business or if anybody's cleaning up after them. When the park attendant asked if they needed doggy bags, they said, oh, no, no, it's OK. It's the park's job to clear up after our dogs. I don't want to identify the park because I'd hate to get the attendant and I don't want to get the attendant be compromised. That's incredible. And obviously the park attendant doesn't have any jurisdiction over saying, well, if your dog does his business and you don't clean up, I, I can fine you. I mean, that's the whole issue. I suppose it's kind of, that's another issue uh, when it comes to dog fouling. And uh, unfortunately, we're, not, we're certainly not getting anywhere with that. And somebody else says, there's always dogs loose and no muzzles on them in the Drumahan area, says uh, Shannon, and it is a disgraceful. And some of these dogs can be quite frightening. You see, yeah, you never know when somebody is afraid of uh, dogs. Now, we spoke about scams earlier on on the uh, programme. Hi Patricia, you were saying when you were talking with Fiona, whose elderly relative was scammed out of her life uh, savings, you say that people are, in inverted commas, randomly picked out for these random phone calls and emails and text messages and then they're conned out of their money. I heard Meta, which is the the new name for Facebook, was hacked and millions of people's information was exposed. Where does all this information go and who who purchased the information. As you correctly pointed out, and I totally agree, these hackers are very smart people. The information on most people, they're smart. But are things as random as they seem? I don't know. Well, it's kind of a little bit like that's from Mossy in West Cork. Thanks for that, Mossy. Hope you're keeping well. It's kind of a little bit like the HSE and the hack on the HSE that happened uh, last year. Actually, as in from today, the, the HSE are starting to contact the people whose information, personal information, was stolen during the cyber attack in May of last year. 113,000 people in total of patients, 94,800 patients and 18,200 staff had their information.
information stolen during the Russian criminals and that cyber attack. But according to the HSC, there is no evidence to suggest that the stolen documents have been used in any sort of a criminal or illegal way. The HSC has taken every step to mitigate the impact of the uh, attack and they've actually done extensive monitoring and they've got support from a security services and there's no evidence that the personal data relating to the HSC cyber attack has been shared or used fraudulently and obviously they went on to apologise but they say that the HSC security partners are working with the HSC they've been monitoring the internet including the dark web since the attack happened and the specialist security partners have seen no evidence that the uh, accessed data has been published online or used for any criminal purposes but people are going to start it's letters by the way are going to come out in the post from the HSE if you are one of the 113,000 people whose information was stolen during that cyber attack and I know if you do get one of the letters you will be able to uh, request to find out exactly what information and exactly what documents were illegally accessed and uh, copied and it'll be done during a port it's all the information I'm assuming is on the letter it'll be on the portal on the HSE uh, website so keep a look out for that but you will initially get a letter from the the HSE and 118,000 people are going to be finding out I don't think everyone's going to be very happy when they discover that their information was accessed and I think it will be important for people uh, to find out exactly what kind of information they have actually uh, taken Uh, and back to dogs hi Patricia let's make doggy parks and let doggy owners pay for them Uh, but have have, and dog yeah dog parks Spain is a great country for dog parks and actually when last during the it wasn't even last year it was during the summer when we were in Ibiza on holidays, quite close to where we used to walk every day, there was a dog park. And one day I took a good look at the, you know, looking in at the dog park, just particularly to see was it all cleaned up, etc. And it was. And I watched the dog owners themselves take responsibility for the dog park. I mean, the, the dogs were in, they're all playing together. Uh, and obviously you only go into the dog park if you have a dog with you so it's a great way you know for people who are nervous about dogs you know they know that the dog park is there but the dogs aren't going to be you know roaming around off the lead out on the footpath or on the beaches they're all inside in this very safe secure dog park and I think I don't I don't even know are there any dog parks anywhere in Ireland or anywhere in Cork I think they're a fabulous idea and certainly they're policed themselves by the dog the dog owners and the one thing that you will notice when you're out walking anywhere in Spain because they have so many of these dog parks and because there's huge responsibility by the owners you will never come across dog fouling on the streets I mean literally I went looking for it because when I'm walking with Marsha and particularly if we're somewhere you know somewhere new that she really doesn't know you got to be so careful about curbs and you know steps and so I'm always watching and I constantly when, I, when I'm walking here in Ireland constantly watching the footpath so that she doesn't walk into dog poo because it has a tendency sometimes to be everywhere but don't have that issue when I'm in Spain because you've got responsible pet owners who always clean up after after their dogs, we could learn a lot. 0818103103 and a North Cork listener says, Patricia, I live near a family who own a Belgian, a Belgian Alsatian as opposed to a German shepherd. Is it? It's a, it's a type of Alsatian anyway. This dog is extremely aggressive. Every time we've walked in or out of our driveway, this dog can put the fear of God in us. The owners only laugh at us when they see that the dog is frightening us. We think it's a very dangerous uh, dog. Well, 
And the owners laughing, saying, actually, I could, I could just imagine the owners saying, ah, he won't touch it, he's grand, he's only barking to say hello. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com, uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia, and how are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, very well, thank you. Now, um, last week, just at the close of our slot last week, somebody said, would you ever ask Peter about living Christmas trees? Somebody had spotted an ad for a living Christmas tree, tree, thought it was a wonderful idea, trying to do their bit for the environment, and was just looking for your view on these living Christmas trees. Well, my view is just that, uh, that it is a, a good for the environment. I've, it's always struck me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm contradicted here because I love Christmas trees, right? But but it always, has always struck me kind of as to, it's a bit of an obscene tradition, you know, that we grow all these trees and then we chop them down and and um, and then throw them out. You know, when you think about it, it is all a bit obscene. However, I'm not preaching because I do the same thing and I love my Christmas tree. Uh, so, so I do it and I suppose the, the only way to look at it is a Christmas tree forest in the long term isn't really a, uh, environmentally a wonderful thing to do long, you know, longer than ten years or whatever they're growing for because it's it's all just one species. Um, so when you're growing it in a pot and you bring it in, I think you've got the best of everything. You're you're growing a tree. You have your your Christmas tree every year. You're not throwing anything out, uh, and you're, you're you have a tree outside in the garden. Uh, for for the rest of the year, which is doing a thing environmentally. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to win win really. Yeah, uh, I think it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and actually, John Paul has just told me, and we're going to be talking to him tomorrow. We've tracked uh, down uh, Colum Crowley, who we actually spoke with last year on this. He's the owner of, I think his company is called uh, Pot Grown Christmas Trees, and he has them available to buy, or you can rent from him at the Mahal Industrial Park. So you can rent the tree. And then drop a back from which I I, re- I remember hearing yeah, probably, I th- probably the conversation last year. Yeah, I thought that was yeah, a brilliant so, idea. Yeah. So we're going we're going to talk to him because I'm really interested to see how last year went uh, for him because he, he's been in the Christmas tree business for a number of years and he decided to give it a go last year, renting them out and, and selling them on to people. I think it's a lot, uh, you know you know and I mean you might have room in your garden that you'd be able to plant it, but not everyone is going to have room for it in the garden. So I do like the idea that you can uh, rent, rent it, it and, and give it back. Great. Okay. And it just just on that note, actually just if that that's great and and I think renting it is a great idea as well but if you're buying some I'm sure not now from from Colin Crowley but if you're if you are looking for if you see some in garden centers very often what happens with them is if they're grown in pots since birth they're perfect and in perfect condition but what some unscrupulous growers I'm not blaming the garden centers but the people who supply them I've seen it what they can do is just dig them out of the ground and put them into a pot um no, there's no, there's no guarantee that those ones are going to survive. So, if you're buying one that's been growing in a pot, you know, go with your gut, have a look at it, and make sure it's solid in the pot, and ask the garden centre if it's, if it's one that has been grown in a pot since birth, or if it's just been dug out of the ground or put into a pot. Okay, and then the chop-down variety, because it'll take years, I think, for people to all move over to actually having a living Christmas tree. Um, Somebody's saying, you need to put a lot of water into to keep the tree alive for as long as you can over Christmas. This is the ordinary cut-down Christmas tree. Well, of course, you're not keeping it alive because it is dead. But okay. you're, so, so it's really like a giant bunch of flowers. I mean, that's the way to treat it. It's, it's a dead tree, and the more water you give it, the fresher, I suppose, it'll stay for longer. But the, the thing to bear in mind with this, with the, the cut one, is 
is that, that if it's next to a fireplace or a perfectly obvious fire hazard, but if it's near a fireplace or a radiator or anything like that, it will dry it out. So do keep it topped up with water. Same is true with, and I'm sure Colin will talk more in depth about this tomorrow with you, same is true with the living ones. They are an outdoor species, so we're moving them into nice warm houses, which isn't their natural environment. So make sure that they're not jammed next to the radiator or the fire or that they dry out. Because if they dry out inside at all, they will be dead. They will die. So, so mm. don't let that happen. Okay. All right. Um, questions coming in. Um, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Uh, Helena in McCroom. Do begonias come every year or are they annuals, Peter? Well, to, 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 to answer her question in a, a purely political way, they can be both. They can be one or the other. Um, so you have the, what's called the fibrous-rooted begonias, which are those very, very small flowers and masses of them, with very often with a kind of a, a purpley, ready leaf. They're, they're the fibrous-rooted ones, and they are an annual plant. <coughs> Excuse me, they're grown as an annual, uh, just as a summer bedding plant. But then the tuberous ones, which is possibly the ones she means, they are perennial. So you have a begonia tuber under the ground, which produces these lovely, big, big, heavy, dense flowers, which are still in flower, actually, at the moment in my own garden. Um, uh, and they are tubers, so they'll die back when the, when the temperatures drop. Uh, and and the, the correct thing to do, of course, is lift the tuber out of the ground and replant it again uh, next spring. So they'll come on every year, yes. Uh, someone else wants to know, is it too late to prune roses now? Not at all. No, you're snap banging kind of in the middle of the season to do it, if you like. You've any time until the, between now and the end of February, early March to do it. Uh, we had this question recently enough as well, and I was saying, uh, if your roses are still flowering, and many are, uh, in fact, up to two weeks ago, they were nearly doing as well as they were in the summer. Uh, so if your roses are still flowering, there's no rush. Why don't you enjoy the flowers and cut them back uh, when the flowers are finished? Okay, question in. Could you ask Peter, please, can you cut the foliage off gladiolas or do you lift them out of the ground and store the bulbs away for the winter or can I simply leave them in the ground? I know what you're going to say. Go on. You're going to, <laughs> you do know yeah, what yeah. I'm going to say. This is a bit of the lazy gardener. Yeah, you're <laughs> going to leave them in, in the ground. Can you do either, yes. can you do either or? Well, first of all, dealing with the foliage. So if the foliage is still green on the gladiolas, and again, just looking at my own, they still are green because they were flowering up to last week. Um, so if the foliage is still green, let the foliage die back naturally as you would a daffodil. So let all that chlorophyll and everything go back into the bulb, which will be the food reserve for next year. So let it die back naturally. But once the foliage on the gladiola has gone brown, um, or yellowy brown you can just it'll come away in your hand to just, just get rid of the foliage as yes as you correctly said I, I feel life was too short to take out my gladiola bulbs and replant them but that is the correct thing to do take the bulbs out uh, if 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 there's if there's more than one bulb, you can divide them uh, and plant them out again next spring. But uh, the, the one thing they don't like about our climate is not so much the low temperatures because we don't always get that low. But it's it's the rain, uh, particularly over the winter months, and we've seen nothing like the rain that we've had the last six weeks. So that's the thing you'd want to be worried about. So if your soil is prone to water logging over the winter, maybe it would be no hard to take them out. Okay, and staying on bulbs, Linda was out rooting in her shed to find the stand for the Christmas tree, and she came across a packet. Of of daffodil bulbs that she bought last September was convinced she'd planted them but she didn't <laughs> does she hold them for next year or is it too late no they don't hold them till next year if it, if, if she means last September she just means two yeah, months I think, ago yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That, yeah I was assuming September this year yeah yeah well then she's fine like if it was September the previous year the chances are no but if, it, if it's only this September they're, they're still fine so if, if, if she, <coughs> excuse me Trish if um, if the bulbs aren't soft or squashy or anything like that, so if they're still firm to the touch, uh, absolutely, they'll be fine, plant away. 
Okay, when is a good time to cut back flourishing chrysanthemums and also when to move them? They're taking over the garden. Okay, well, it depends which type of chrysanthemum it is, but I, I'm, I'm guessing if they're taking over the, the garden, then they're a uh, hardy one in our climate, that they haven't just gone in this year. So if they're a hardy type of chrysanthemum, uh, you would cut them back, they're, they're herbaceous, which means they'll die back anyway when the temperatures drop. So as soon as the temperatures drop, you'll see the foliage and flowers will die off and go brown. Um, and that's the time to cut them back, cut them back to ground level, uh, and then move them any time during the winter. So any time really now, from, from now again until the end of February, during the dormant period of the year, the dormant part of the year. OK, and I don't know if you can answer this, or you might wait and think about it. Somebody says, my granddad is hugely into gardening. I'd love to buy him a nice gardening book for Christmas. What would Peter recommend? I don't know if you can do that off the top of your head. Are you I can, I can, of course. The, the, the gardening with Peter Dowdall, the importance of the natural world. And there you in go. All, in all good bookshops. <laughs> uh, uh, how long is that out? Oh, that's out 10 years now. Is it 10 yeah, years? Wow, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. still available in all good bookshops. I, well, I would hope so, and even maybe the not-so-good bookshops, but, okay. uh, but ho- hopefully, hopefully it's still there, yeah. You'll find it online, I'm sure. But there's, there is loads of good gardening books out there. It is hard to just pick one. And the RHS, any of the RHS books are all good. Um, yeah, just, just just have a look around, really. But it's, but it's a nice idea as well. It's a nice present to give. It's a lovely gift. Yeah, yeah it is a lovely, lovely gift. gift yeah. OK, listen, have a great week and we'll chat again next week. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Talk Peter. That's uh, Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com. So I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, ringing those Christmas bells at two o'clock. Keep counting. Talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 onto the line, Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.